0: And I was thinking quite a bit about the fact that we're going to go through a change someday. And I was thinking, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm standing here. I can't hear without my hearing aids. I can't see without my glasses. And you can't hear me without this microphone. So we're stuck with all of this. But someday we're going to be changed. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you that the change is coming. And one day, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are looking forward to seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your precious gift. It is an unspeakable gift. It's hard to describe, and we thank you. So help us tonight. May your spirit speak to your church tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to First Timothy chapter 2. This is one of the books that's called a pastoral letter, a pastoral epistle. In other words, it's Paul the Apostle, the Holy Spirit prompting him to write to a pastor by the name of Timothy, to tell Timothy what kind of pastor he's supposed to be, and to get him to teach the people what kind of Christians they're supposed to be. The subject of chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, which is what we're going to look at tonight, is prayer. I want to ask you a few questions before we begin the text. Can you think of a time when our country needed prayer more than it needs this evening? In your lifetime, at least. Can you think of a time? How about the other countries in this world? It seems like there's trouble everywhere. Do our national leaders need our prayers? Will earnest believing prayer by God's people make a difference? How is your prayer life? Would you like to be a better servant of Jesus Christ and improve your prayer life? Good. Tonight's lesson is about prayer. Let's look at the text. Verse 1, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 8. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, Let's notice, first of all, in verse 1, that we are exhorted to pray. Isn't it amazing when you think about it, why do we have to be exhorted to pray? The word exhort, if you look it up, means to urge, to implore, to command. Isn't it amazing when you think about what it means that we are exhorted to pray? Why do we have to be exhorted to pray? especially when you think about the things that God says about prayer. It's a wonderful thing. In Jeremiah, the Lord spoke through the prophet and said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. So if we pray, God will show us things that are greater than we can imagine, and yet we have to be exhorted to pray. Uh, in First John, the apostle said, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So whenever you ask anything that's according to the will of the Lord, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's First John 5, verses 14 and 15. And then a verse that I shared with you not long ago, 1 Peter 3, verse 12, says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. So we are exhorted to pray. Even though God gave us all these wonderful promises about prayer, he still has to urge us to pray. Do you pray as much as you should? Many of us do not. Considering what God will do when his people pray, We should pray a lot more. And then we're urged in the text to pray with supplication. Not just pray, but to pray with supplication. What does that mean? What does supplication mean? It means intense, believing, heartfelt prayer. Prayer is to be made in earnest with all of your heart, getting your heart and your soul into your prayers. That's the kind of prayer that God listens to. That's the kind of prayer that changes things. Our prayer should not be casual. It should not be something we do at the last minute without thought. It should be earnest and intense. This is the kind of prayer life that God says is indispensable. He testifies in his word that that mankind needs earnest, believing prayer that you and I can make. It's not to be a casual thing. Now, the Bible says in First Corinthians, or excuse me, Second Corinthians five, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, since we are laborers together with God, one of our strongest weapons is the weapon of prayer. How can we be committed, be committed to the word of reconciliation if we are not people of prayer? You know, the Bible says that he is the Lord of the harvest and we are laborers together with him in this harvest field. Therefore, we need to be people of earnest, believing prayer. Putting it another way, God is really working alongside of us. From cover to cover, the Bible tells us how effective labors in God's harvest field can be. He wants us to be effective so we won't be ashamed at his coming. He wants us to be strong and continue to be strong and to finish strong. Disciples that make a difference in an unbelieving world. And we can accomplish this through knowing his word and through prayer. You know, the world was looked on by Jesus with great compassion. He cares about this world and he wants us to care about this world. And if we care about this world the way we should, we will be people of intense believing prayer. You know, the Bible says that there are several things that will make you strong disciples. I'm not going to read them all, but I have a few here. First of all, if we will keep the two greatest commandments. Do you remember the greatest commandment? The Pharisees said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment in the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And he said, a second one like unto this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you can become strong if you will love God and love one another. You'll have a wonderful marriage if you will love your wife and love your neighbor. If you will love God and love one another, you'll have a wonderful marriage. Then we need to be a, a serious reader of the Bible. God's people need to read the Bible every day. If you don't read the Bible every day, you're not going to be as strong as if you did. We're to be in fellowship on a regular basis with God's people. You know, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling together as a manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we should meet more and more, not less and less, because the day is approaching. Now, I don't know when it is, but it's certainly sooner than when we first believed. We're to be a worshiper of God. If we worship God, if we pray, if we fellowship, we'll be stronger. We're to be serious about prayer. So when you pray, brothers and sisters, get your heart and your soul into your prayers. Pray with supplication. I remember a couple in San Jose when I went to be on staff there. They, uh, their son and daughter uh, had a little baby boy, and he was premature, quite premature, He was lying in a hospital in serious trouble, maybe not going to live. And I remember Les and Donna coming forward one Sunday morning. I spoke that morning, and they wanted to pray for this little boy. And I can tell you that their prayers were not casual. Their prayers were intense, believing prayers. They prayed with supplication. And then uh, just a day or so later, uh, their son and daughter-in-law showed up, and they prayed with intense believing prayer. They prayed the supplication. But the greatest example we have of intense believing prayer, prayer with supplication, is the Lord Jesus himself. In Luke 22, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, why did Jesus pray this way? Why was he in such agony as he prayed? Why did he sweat drops of blood? Why was he so into his prayer? Because his cause was great. Think of how great the cause of Jesus was. He prayed earnestly because everybody needed his prayer. Every man, woman, and child who ever would live in this world needed Jesus praying for them. And if you think about it, is our cause any less than his cause? No, it's not. Because, you know why? Because our cause is his cause. We have taken up his cause. Therefore, we need to be people of intense, believing prayer. When I think of the mess that the United States is in right now, financial, uh, the uh, politicians are quibbling, lying about each other. They're fussing at Nancy Pelosi. Yes, she did. No. No, she didn't. Yes, she did. I mean, it's just on into the night when you think about the quibbling and the lying and the deceit that goes on. The bankers are thieves. The insurance companies are thieves. I talked to, uh, I don't want to be too harsh about this, but I I talked to a man today that um, had uh, pancreatic cancer. Most people die from pancreatic cancer. And um, he's working on the building over there, by the way. He really appreciates what God did for him. He had his pancreas taken out, part of his stomach, and several other things. His hospital bill was in excess of $300,000. The insurance company denied his claim because they said he had pre-existing conditions. So is the insurance company a thief or not? Well, thank God, this man is a believing Christian, a praying Christian, and uh, they forgave the bill. $300,000, the bill was forgiven by the hospital. So thank God. Now, he was contacted not long ago by a man who also had pancreatic cancer, and the same insurance company... Also, denied his claim, so he has sued them. And he got in touch with this man, his name is David Cheek, by the way, and said, You know what? This is a class action suit, and I've named you in it because you're one of the guys that they denied the claim. So if I win, you're going to win. And David said, How much am I going to win? He said, Well, at least $70,000. So pray for this lawsuit. This insurance company. I'm praying for Pat Thompson. Some of you don't know who Pat is, but uh, you remember we prayed for her husband who died. His name is Warren Thompson. Still is. He's in heaven. Warren's in heaven. His name is still Warren, but he's in heaven. Anyway, uh, his uh, he had a life insurance policy for $750,000. The life insurance company has denied paying the widow because they said he had a pre-existing condition. A virus attacked his heart. He had this life insurance policy for several years and then he got this virus his heart couldn't stand it he was in a hospital for quite some time and you know who were praying for him you know he died so they denied the claim saying it's pre-existing you know insurance companies have droves of attorneys and they they if they deny the claims they don't have to pay out much money well his hospital bill was way up there like that and they they've They've denied his life insurance policy. But pray for Pat. You know, God can hear that prayer, and he can cause that insurance company to pay that money. The Bible says that God moves the minds of kings like the rivers of water, whithersoever he will. So if he can move the mind of a king, he can move United Healthcare. He can move this life insurance company to pay Pat. She has three teenage children, and she needs that money. So please pray for her. Now, Jesus prayed in agony because his cause was great. Now, our cause is also great because it's the same cause. Therefore, we need to be people of intense believing prayer. Can you think of a greater cause in this world than the souls of men, women, and little children? Can you think of a greater cause than that? I can't. We need to pray with supplication because people need to be saved. And then he said, exhort them to intercede. He said, you're to pray with supplication and intercessions. Now, to intercede means to pray for others. If God's people don't pray for others, who will? If you think about it, it's highly probable if you and I don't pray for certain people, probably no one will. There may be a neighbor you have that if you don't pray for them, who will? For whom are we to intercede? Who should be on our prayer list? Well, verse 2 says, For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. We need to pray for President Obama. You may not like President Obama. There are some things that I don't like about him. But he's our president, and I'm going to pray for him. And I urge you to pray for him, too. You know, God can change his mind about some of the bad things he's doing. You know that, don't you? He can. He can move the minds of kings. He can move Obama's mind. He can move Nancy Pelosi's mind. He can move anybody's mind. So we need to pray. Don't stop until you pray for the president and all others. You need to pray for the people in Santa Cruz. We talk about how, what a city Santa Cruz is and what it needs to be. You know how it's going to get to be better? If you and I pray for Santa Cruz and the people of Santa Cruz. That's one of the ways it's going to get to be better. So he says, pray for kings and all who are in authority, that's verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to really learn that verse in our hearts. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, do you have neighbors that you don't like? God wants them to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It doesn't matter how bad they are. So we're to pray for them. And then he says there is one God in verse 5 and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Because there is only one way, one God and one mediator, we need to be people of intense, believing prayer. It's the only way your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, your in-laws, your outlaws, your cousins, and so on, are going to be saved. It was just one way. But we need to understand that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If we will present the gospel and pray that people will hear the gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We need to learn the gospel backwards and forwards and inside out. 1 Corinthians 15 defines the gospel, that Jesus came, he died, he was, he was raised from the dead, that's the good news of the gospel. He died for our sins, he rose again, that's the gospel. And if you will believe that, you will be saved. Our neighbors, if they will believe that, they will be saved. Verse 6 says, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Since our Savior gave himself as a ransom for all, for whom should we Pray for all. While we're praying for others, someone is praying for us, helping us with our prayers. When you pray, you have a helper to help you pray. In Romans 8, it says this, verses 26 and 27. It says, "Likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know that we should, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered." Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when you pray, you're not by yourself. The Spirit of God himself is helping you pray. You know, you don't necessarily have to utter words when you pray. It's good, too, because it helps you to think about what you're saying. But God knows what you're going to say before you say it. And he listens while you're speaking. That's the wonderful thing about God. He knows ahead of time what you're going to say, but while you're praying, he's paying attention to what you're saying, even though he knows what you're going to say. Is he a good God or what? So the Spirit is interceding. And then he says back in verse 1 to be thankful. Exhort them not only to pray and to intercede, but exhort them to be thankful. Do you have to be reminded to be thankful? Are you a thankful Christian? Are there a lot of reasons why we should be thankful? If you think about it, God's people ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Here are just a few reasons. You've been washed from all of your sins in the blood of Christ. You are God's child. God has forgiven and forgotten your sins. No matter how many trials and tribulations you suffer in this life, you have a fantastic future you think about it. Paul put it this way. He said in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. You know, one day you are going to be changed. You're not going to be like you are right now. Thank God. We're going to be changed. Consider where you came from and what you have now become. Even as an imperfect Christian, what you have become. Hebrews tells us about that in Hebrews 12. It says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. To the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. That's what you've come to. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3. He said, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So brothers and sisters, be thankful believers. You know, thank you, Lord, should be a phrase continually on our lips. Here's a way in the scripture to have a thankful heart all the time. In Colossians 3, it tells us to set our... our hearts, our mind on things above. In Colossians 3, verses 2 through 8, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them but now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth so we are to put our mind on the things above not on the things on the earth then if you think about it thankful believers are contagious believers do you like to be around people who are thankful? Or do you like to be around people who are negative? I think that's an answer that we all know. Do you know that when you are a thankful Christian, walking in faith, walking in the strength that God wants you to walk in, do you know that you literally have the fragrance of Christ? You know, the Bible talks about the fragrance of Christ. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Think about it. When you live the way you're supposed to and pray the way God wants us to, And live the life and keep your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. You will begin to exude the fragrance of Christ about people that you bump into. And people need the fragrance of Christ. They're getting the wrong fragrance in this world today. All you have to do is watch the news. Doesn't it make you ill when you think about it? People squabbling, people complaining, people taking God's name in vain, people using the F word, every other word. I mean, it's amazing. It's used in the classroom by the teachers. It's used everywhere, used by, even by announcers on TV. It's just amazing to me. But yet God says, don't put your mind on these things. Think on the things that are above, and you will begin to have the fragrance of Jesus Christ, and you will share that with others as you bump into them. So, I think this is a rhetorical question to my brothers and sisters tonight. You're here on a Wednesday night, so I know the answer to this question. Do you want to be a believer that attracts people to Christ? I'm sure you do. So, be a thankful believer who prays. In this world today, if you're a praying person, you are an exceptional person. And if you, tonight feel kind of badly about your prayer life, and you don't feel that you pray very effectively, you can improve. You can get a whole lot better. You know, when we think about it, God is looking for people who are serious about prayer. God listens to people who are serious about prayer. So let us be people that God listens to. Let us be people who God answers. In this chapter, the Holy Spirit instructs us how to pray if we're to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And he exhorts us to pray the way we are instructed. So much depends on it. I have a prayer for you. As I prepared this message, I had a prayer for you. This is the prayer I have for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that if you are not already a person given to a strong daily prayer life, that you will begin to do that today. If all of us become consistent praying disciples of Jesus Christ. We will become what Jesus said we're supposed to be, a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to pray, teach us to pray, stir us to pray, and help us to be people of intense believing prayer, not just casual, occasional prayer. But help us to be people of pray, that we pray daily. When I think of the Lord Jesus going out and praying all night, knowing that he was the perfect son of God, and yet he felt the need to spend time, lots of time in prayer, help us, oh God, to be more sacrificial in the way that we pray. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon these people, and I pray that you will help us to become a prayer of a people of prayer for all nations. And I pray that as we move to Scotts Valley that you will help us to be a light that shines brightly in and around Scotts Valley, Lord. And help us to be that church that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close in a worship song.